We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by co-host Nick Pilato. Sorry, I'm stumbling on words already. We know it's draft week when that's happening because we only have a few more days before the big night. And one podcast that I know a lot of people reached out to me privately and said they really enjoyed last year was when we had uh, when we had on CBS Sports NFL Draft Insider Ryan Wilson last year because a lot of the time we get into the nitty-gritty of the draft and we don't kind of touch on all the overall concepts and things that go and all the working parts that make it happen and how they all affect the Giants. And I know Ryan did a great job breaking all that down last year. So we had him on this year again. So welcome onto the show, Ryan. Thanks again for joining us, man. And I know you've got a crazy week out of you. You're heading out to Cleveland soon. Is that right? Yeah, you got it, Dan. It's good to be on with um, you and and Nick for sure. Um, It's been a long time. And yeah, I'll be going to Cleveland on Wednesday. I'll be there all weekend. But uh, the last two and a half weeks has been just a whirlwind in terms of like, uh, you know, work responsibilities. Cause this is my super bowl, so to speak. So I, I've been, uh, as I told, uh, one of our colleagues earlier today, you know, they're, they're running my ass into the ground, but I'm okay with that because <laughs> yeah. it means, you know, it means I'm working. So that's great. Yeah, no doubt. Do you have anything, uh, circled for Cleveland when you get there, any restaurants, any places you got to see people you want to see? You know, it's funny. Like, um, I went to the, I, Last year, right as soon as the pandemic hit, I ended up going to Stanford, Connecticut, where we have our studio up in Connecticut. And I didn't do anything because everything was shut down. And I travel to Stanford every weekend during the season to, to do the NFL on the weekends. So this will be the first time, I think, that I've been out in, in sort of a, a post-vaccinated world for me. So I'm just interested to see sort of people in a relatively normal setting at a sporting event or a facsimile of a, a sporting event. And I think that's going to be good. Like most of the time I'll be wherever our, our set is, but just being around people, I'm actually excited 
that I'm well, I'm that easy at this point. Just just something completely different from the lockdown that we've all endured for more than 12 months now. Hopefully, you get to experience that out there in Cleveland, Ryan. And I wanted to ask you if you could start start us off by kind of walking through your picks because I know you did a seventh round mock draft <laughs> with everybody, and that probably took you. I, I couldn't even imagine how long that took okay. you. But we'll focus here on the New York Giants. Do you want to uh, go through some of the players that you selected for the New York Giants? Let's do it. Yeah. So the seven rounder for the New York Giants. Um, I started at number 11 with, and this came out. So as we're taping this on the 26th, I, I had it, I turned it into a three rounder today. So there's something that's already changed. I had the, I may have had, no, I didn't. I, I thought about having the Giants trade down, but they, they were beat to the punch by the Cowboys at 10. So this seven rounder, there are no trades. It came out the, the week of uh, the 19th. And let me take a look here at, at all the picks. So, at 11, I had the Giants taking Rashawn Slater. So what happened above them? We know about the quarterbacks going to the top three. Kyle Pitts is gone. Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle are gone. So what are available for the Giants there? Devonta Smith there, still on the board. Christian Derrissaw is there. Quiddy Pay is there, the edge rusher. And, and I think the big unknown, and you guys might know better than me because this is, this is what you guys do, what is Dave Gettleman going to do? We know that he likes big guys. And, and I've even joked that Devonta Smith makes a ton of sense for me. But he's slight of frame. He weighed 166. I've even joked that even the wide receivers that Gettleman likes are big guys. Like Kelvin Benjamin, for example. He wasn't a small wide receiver. So I would take Devontae Smith here if he's still on the board. I know Galladay's there. Uh, I know Darius Slayton had a, had a, has had a good start to his career. Sterling Shepard's still there. Maybe the last year of his deal. But I just feel like it, this this is go time for for Danny Dimes. And, yes, Rashawn Slater answers a lot of questions, and I like him a lot. But if you're pushing the ball downfield, if you're trying to be competitive in a division that's not very good, giving Danny Dimes options, like a Devontae Smith, when you can circle back in later rounds and get some offensive line help, some much-needed offensive line help for sure, I like that. Now, I've heard reports that maybe the Giants are interested in Michael Parsons. I get him in like some Michael Parsons. I think Peter King wrote about that on Monday. There's some off-field concerns, and that may see him push. We'll see how far down he goes. But in terms of talent, Michael Parsons, if he's laser-focused, is a top-five player. Now, Quiddy Pay is, I think I have to double check, but he's among my favorite edge rushers. I've checked my final rank. It's either him or Aziz Ojolari. And those guys will probably come up the board around 14 or 15. The Vikings at 14 makes some sense to, to target an edge rusher if an offensive lineman isn't there. But if you take one at 11, I mean, you can say, yeah, that's too high, but that's just because we've talked ourselves into that from being in the Twitter ecosystem. I mean, three years from now, Quiddy Pay could be a, a top five pick, and we all wonder how he missed on him. So. If that's something that Gettleman likes, I get that too. But I think my order of importance based on available players that I've mentioned, it would be Devontae Smith, then probably Rashawn Slater, even though Rashawn Slater can come in right away and, and contribute for sure, and then probably a, a quitty pay. And then how do you end up uh, taking taking them? What direction do you take them on days two and three? Or I'm sorry, just days two. Let's start with the second and third round picks. Yeah, so yeah, I spent 20 minutes talking about the first pick. So right, and well, That's what everybody wants to hear about, so I don't blame you. So they picked pretty early in the second round, and this is sort of the reason I went with um, – so I had to take Rashawn Slater. They, I think I did that because that felt like a Gettleman move. I would do Devontae Smith. So you get your offensive tackle in the first round. In the second round, I had them taking Ronnie Perkins, the edge rusher, out of Oklahoma at 42. And, dude, I like Ronnie Perkins a lot, like a lot. And um, I didn't come on to him until late, probably until – January, February, and then I watched him, and I was like, why aren't we talking about this guy? And he is so much stronger than his, his listed weight and size. I think he had a pretty good pro day. At the end of the day, the pro days don't really matter much to me if, if you've seen things 
when you've watched them play that have, have impressed you. Uh, and, and the takeaway for me is, is this. Ronnie Perkins against Oklahoma State, he was ragged on Tevin Jenkins at times. And that is something you rarely saw in Tevin Jenkins' career. And, in fact, that was Tevin Jenkins' last game at, uh, at Oklahoma State. I think he took himself out at halftime. Uh, it may have been a chest injury or something, but um, either he opted out for that or it was his last game. It was towards the end of the season. But it was just a sight to see that Ronnie Perkins probably weighs 40, 50, 60 pounds less than Tevin Jenkins. And Tevin Jenkins is a grown man who plays with an edge. Um, getting the best of Tevin Jenkins on a few of those snaps. Now, Tevin Jenkins is a really good player and had, for the most part, a solid performance there. But Ronnie Perkins' ability to do that makes you feel comfortable with him at the next level. So we'll see where he goes. Like, he's gotten some first-round buzz, but I think the lack of consistency is some of the things you hear from teams when you talk, talk about him. But that's the case for a lot of these guys. They're all, they're all so young. So I had him going 42. 76, I had them taking Amari Rogers, the wide receiver, who uh, primarily has the slot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Clemson, uh, his dad's T. Martin, which is sort of a fun story. Uh, the only quarterback to win a national t- championship at Tennessee, which is uh, <laughs> take that, Peyton. And uh, I I don't know if I like Amari more than most folks. I like him a lot. Um, I, I think he has a chance to come in right away and help. Um, so I had him going 76. Um, he also took some – I think he did some running back drills at his pro day. And he has that sort of versatility because when he has the ball in his hands, he's basically a running back. And his, he's a yards after the catch guy. So that's day two. Um, I think 116 it comes around four. So, yeah, those are the day two guys. You guys have any thoughts on those? Hate them. Love them. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With the Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. 
I'm a big fan of Amari Rodgers. I think his skill set is it's somewhat akin to Sterling Shepard's just being a slot guy, but I would agree it's a little bit more dynamic with the football in his hands. And I feel like, well, hopefully Jason Garrett would be able to use him in a creative fashion on jet sweeps and giving him the football because, like you said, he was doing that down at his pro day. He was also doing it a little bit at the senior bowl. He's definitely someone that uh, I think Dan and I are both intrigued by. And Ronnie Perkins, the Giants do need to look at edge. But I wanted to ask you, because I saw that you passed on Gregory Rousseau, and I view Dan and I, I think, are lockstep here. We view Gregory Rousseau as more of an inside type of guy than rather an edge, whereas Ronnie Perkins is more of that edge type of player. But I wanted to get your take on Gregory Rousseau because in the beginning of this process, he started as a consensus top 10 pick, and we haven't seen him since 2019. And now he's being talked about in the second round, and he's falling a little bit. And I'm wondering if you're hearing – at, uh, any reasons as to why that might be? Is it just because he hasn't played, just because he has that one-year production? What exactly is the reason why Gregory Rousseau has fallen so much in the last couple of months? Yeah, one of the things I try to remind myself, Nick, is that when we say, like, this guy was a unanimous top-five pick or whatever, that's just us, again, in the media trying to talk ourselves into guys or just things we're, we're talking amongst ourselves. And then when you talk to teams, they have different opinions. So I remember talking to some teams in December towards the end of the, the regular season, the football season, when, as you mentioned, Rousseau had already opted out, so he wasn't even playing. About Rousseau in particular, a lot of his sacks came like from zero technique, uh, over the nose, uh, one technique, whatever, inside, and that's not going to happen in the NFL. And teams like him. The other issue, though, is that he's so like below the waist, slight of frame. Sort of not. He's not Devontae Smith, obviously, but he's he's skinny. And can he put on weight? Sure, of course he can, and, and that'll that'll come with time and age and all that other stuff, NFL coaching and NFL strength conditioning, all that other stuff. Um, but he's also a, a wide receiver convert, so you're also trying to project that. So I think he does a lot of things really well. I just don't think in what's not a top-heavy edge rush class, like there's no Chase Young, there's no Bosa's, there's no Miles Garrett, but guys that probably go off the board in the middle of the round and, and go from there, that maybe you go with a, a, a sure thing in a Quiddy Pay and an Aziz Ojolari. Even a Jalen Phillips who replaced him in Wars number at Miami last year, if Jalen Phillips is a huge if, if he's healthy. Because we don't know what NFL teams view him medically. The concussion issues, he had a wrist injury, I think, it, and when he was at UCLA. But if he's healthy, he's probably the best edge rusher in this class as we sit here. Even someone like Jason Oway at Penn State, I like better than Rousseau because he's built more like an edge rusher. He's 6'5", 257, I think is what it was pro day. He ran in four fours. He's only been playing football football altogether since junior high school and he's an absolute freak he feels like um he feels like a Steelers edge rusher to me sort of in the Bud Dupree mold that Bud Dupree came out as a fantastic athlete and after 18 months he sort of figured it all out that's Jason Elway for me and I think I don't want to say Russo hurt himself by not playing but I think he was surpassed by other players in 2020 who who showed up like Quiddy Pay when I watched him over the summer I thought ah, oh, he looks like a fourth or fifth round pitch as a guy who hasn't figured it out but athletically is all there and then he did a lot of good things in 2020 in limited snaps that sort of changed my opinion. And Rousseau I like. I, I think he has first-round talent, but I think if you're sort of weighing the pros and cons as an NFL team, you may want to, you know, and NFL teams are notoriously conservative, that you, you'll probably want to err on the side of being conservative in the first round to some degree at the entrance position. That said, the funny thing is, like, I think I had Rousseau going to – I did. I had Rousseau going to the Cowboys in the seven-round mock draft at 44 – and I had him pick an Andre Sisco, the safety of the Syracuse at 75. And I would say 95% of the feedback I got in the seven-round mock draft was positive, which is weird. I think <laughs> in part, it was weird because, in part, fans hate 
the idea of one-round mock drafts, you don't feel every need they have. In the seven-rounder, you can fulfill those needs, and they're typically uh, more forgiving. Cowboys fans hated the idea of Gregory Rousseau at 44 and then Andres Cisco at 75 because they have talked themselves into him being a bust. I don't know why they thought that. That was sort of news to me. But, um, again, we don't know. And I think it's sort of funny that I say that a lot as a quote-unquote expert. But that's the reality. We don't know. We have no idea. We're just going to what we saw and people we talked to and then trying to, to draw our own uh, conclusions based on that. Gregory Rousseau could have 25 sacks next year. He probably won't. But he had 15 and a half sacks in 2019. So he was doing something right. I just think that some NFL teams would be wary of the lack of experience and sort of more importantly probably the, the fact that he's not built from the waist down like, say, a quitty pay. Yeah, I think a couple things there are interesting of note. First of all, the we don't know. I think it's so important and so overlooked that we don't know. I, you see even now, right now, on Twitter, everybody's making all these proclamations about how big of a mistake the 49ers will be making. And we'll get to that discussion in a little bit, so I don't want to tip it off. But no, they, you don't know it's going to be a mistake right now. You don't know for sure that Justin Fields is going to be better than Mac Jones or even that Trevor – like Trevor Lawrence is the one maybe you can say close to you know for sure. But even there, you don't really know for sure, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, a lot of people can do a lot of film work on these players and can read a lot about them and can study them. But in the end, the NFL teams know exactly how they're going to fit their specific system, and they have a lot more film to work with, by the way, and access to the coaches. So I agree with you on that. But it is interesting to me with a guy like Rousseau, because I actually had this conversation last night with Nick off the pod, and we were both talking about it. And it's like when you watch Rousseau, you don't really see that edge, Ben. You, you, you look at him as a player who I think needs to add 20 or 30 pounds and then max out as kind of Calais Campbell type. That's who Nick was bringing up. He can be, can he be a Calais Campbell type? And that's funny because today I was reading an article from Rousseau where Rousseau said, that's who I'm trying to mold my game after, Clayus Campbell. But I think that fits some teams more than others, and I don't think, like you said, that fits the Giants specifically off the edge or really a lot of teams on the edge. I think ultimately he'll find most of his success on the interior. But I do have a question for you before we get to your day three picks here because there were some interesting names I want to talk about there. While we're on the topic of edge, do you feel like any of these edge prospects would be blue-chip guys in your mind, not because they have edge next to them, not because teams need pass rushers, just because they're some of the better players in this class? I like Jason Oway a lot. Like I think I was talking to Scott about him back in the late fall towards the end of the season, and he said Jason Oway doesn't know that he's 6'5", 257. He still thinks he's 6'2", 225 or whatever he was in high school. And once he figures out that he can dominate guys – it's going to be a light night and day. And I buy into that because you watch him play. I watched a couple games this season where, like I said, he didn't have any sacks. He's generating pressure. He's so quick off the ball. He's incredibly strong. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. He's an edge rusher, which is sort of what we're seeing these athletes evolve into. Uh, so I like a lot of things about his potential. And, you know, that is a dangerous word. I mentioned Jalen Phillips. I think he's probably the one of the, the, the most exciting guys to watch in 2020. It's just the, you know, is he going to be healthy? Because that's a huge concern. And, and Brinson, like, does the Pick 6 podcast and CBS. I'm, I'm on that with him occasionally. He said, if he gets two concussions next year, that's a wrap. Like, you know, that, and that's not outside the realm of possibility. But athletically, he is just an absolute freak. And if Gregory Rousseau looked like Jalen Phillips, he would be right there in the mix in terms of being anywhere from 15 to 32. And he could still very easily sneak into the first round. I mean, Gregory Rousseau is going to the draft, so he's not going to fall to, to the fifth round. Maybe he just lasts into the middle of round two or something. And one more name I'll mention who I like a lot in terms of just being a physical uh, monster, Joe Tryon out of uh, Washington. He opted out also for 2019, 2020. Uh, again, hasn't played a lot, 
But, oh, my God, he looks apart. And I was talking to his teammate, Levi Owens-Arike, defensive tackle, who has a chance to be a first-round pick, early second-round guy. And he said he's he's even more rocked up now than he was at the end of the season in 2019 where he was pretty jacked. And, and he, he's, all those sort of physical things he does well, he, he's still doing those, he's doing those even more impressively than he did. So, again, it's just a matter of growing into that job. I, I think Joe Tryon has a chance to stick it to the first round, be an early second-round guy, sort of what we're saying about all these guys. But um, I always think about it in terms of this. Like, I'm a Steelers homer. If the Steelers took Jason away or Joe Tryon at 24, I would be absolutely okay with it. If they took Gregory Rousseau, I'd be a little, okay, well, let's see how this works. I, I trust the coaching staff. And Jalen Phillips, I would be excited uh, uh, under the assumption that he could stay healthy. Going back to the Giants of Lemon Stick, I mean, they bring in a Dory Jackson. I want to talk about the secondary. Do you think there's any possibility that Dave Gettleman kind of goes in the direction of a Patrick Sertain or a J.C. Horn? Because I think that would be something that would – relatively surprised the fan base. Have you heard any uh, linkage between uh, Gettleman and those two players? I don't know if I've heard I haven't talked to anyone about it. I think I saw somewhere on on Twitter, so some media uh, outlet that maybe mentioned it. So I haven't heard it from an NFL team or any of the folks I talked to. But I don't hate it. Like, I, I like Patrick Graham. I thought he had a really good season last year and, and did a lot, not with a little, but did, did a surprisingly good job when we've seen that unit sort of struggle. Um, but I don't hate the idea of getting cornerbacks, um, especially like I say this all the time. I think right now that the Washington and New York are the favorites in that division, um, not because they have the best quarterbacks. The Cowboys have the best quarterback in Dak Prescott, but the Cowboys defense sucks. Like they, they unless Dak is scoring 50 points a game, they're going to struggle to be consistent in terms of winning football games. And I think Washington's done a really good job this off season. And I think that New York has done a good job um, in terms of putting uh, people around uh, on both sides of the ball. I I think that obviously this is, I won't say make or break, but this is the year Daniel Jones has to put it together. We don't really know if he's good or not yet, but I think by the end of this year we'll we'll have a good idea. And um, the idea of a cornerback here, if you love J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan, and and Sertan on some level feels like a, a pretty safe pick, but I come back to the idea that last year Jeffrey Kuda struggled as the number three pick. Not entirely his fault, but just the reality of trying to tra- translate from college to NFL, even when you're special. He struggled. C.J. Henderson struggled at times. A.J. Terrell was okay, but he struggled at times as well. So it's not easy for cornerbacks to come in and just immediately make a difference. Stron Diggs was their Cowboys second-round pick, and he struggled too. And he's a big sort of prototypical guy. So uh, I do wonder if you get more bang for the buck out of a Rashawn Slater um, Devonta Smith, I, I don't know how his how he's going to play in year one. I think he'll have success, but it all depends on the system. And Micah Parsons feels like he would come in if he's laser focused on football and be one of these guys that would have success uh, success immediately too. Yeah, and transitioning a bit to day three, you had a player the Giants were going to take who I'm a very high on, and I never am going to get his name right. I don't think, but Simi Fiokuoku, the wide receiver out of Stanford. Talk a little bit about him, and then kind of those other day three picks you had for the Giants. So. Fahoku, uh, physically, I like him. Like, he looks the part. Um, he's hasn't, again, hasn't played a ton of football. He he doesn't like catching the football, which is an issue for a wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you can, you know, if you feel like he's going to improve in that area, and Pete Prisco, who we work with at CBS Sports, um, I don't think he loves him, but he, he's talked to folks that like him more than perhaps they should in the league. And I tend to agree with that because I think sometimes we fall in love with speed and measurables. And look, he may look like DK Metcalf in terms of size. He probably doesn't have the six pack and he ran well as pro day, but he ain't DK Metcalf in terms because some of the knock on DK was that he, he sometimes struggled with focus drops. 
DeFalco struggles with catching the football. Like, he can get open down the field. Not a lot of route variety. But, I mean, think about it this way. It doesn't have to be all bad. I mean, what if he's Mike Wallace and then he just runs go routes all day and he just stretches the defense and opens things up for everyone else? And that's certainly a task you can have, or even a Chase Claypool to make it a little more recent. Uh, that's a, certainly a job you can do as, as a rookie, get a few deep balls under your, under your belt, loose up the defense, and then you know continue to learn on, on the run. So I don't hate the pick. I think I had him going in the sixth round, right? Is that what it was? Yep. Yeah, so that that feels about right. Uh, Cam- oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I'm done. I was going to say, I think I'm with you on that. For me, the one trait that stood out to me even more, because those are definitely true. I mean, his hands need a lot of work, though. I think some of that was concentration issues, and that could improve. But the the thing that really stood out to me with him was not even just that speed-size combination. It was actually his ability to move after the catch with the ball in his hands. He was way, way, way more elusive and agile than I thought somebody and somebody typically usually is, honestly, across the NFL, across college football at six foot four, two twenty five. So that was the one thing where I looked at it and I was like, you know what? When I'm taking players on day three, at least for me, I'm always looking for upside. I'm never tra- kind of drafting these like maxed out college player types that have decent stats against bad competition. It's just kind of what I'm looking for, at least. So he stood out to me. But I do, I do see your criticisms there, and it does feel like maybe – NFL teams, or maybe even me in this scenario, are kind of overrating the potential there. No, but Dan, you make a good point. Like, and I don't like to. I try to make a point not to crap on these kids because they are kids and they're yeah. basically applying for jobs. And you know, he he did the best he could at Stanford, and I think he has a lot of potential to be really good. Like, I don't want to come across as saying he's going to be a terrible NFL player because he could actually dominate um, from day one. And your point is a good point. Like, it, when you're talking sixth, seventh round, you're not drafting starters. You're drafting guys who have NFL type qualities that you feel like your coaching staff can mold into something more than that. Uh, I would imagine he's going to, I don't know, I have to check his, his stats as a gunner and, and at Sanford, but I, he's a guy who probably would be a good gunner on paper because of his physical skills and his size and speed. And you can't coach that. Like Hunter Renfro, in, you know, in semi Fioco's body is probably the, a top three pick. So you want to get him into, you know, Hunter Renfro route running and, and pass catching ability. And that's, that is, um, I, I, I think you're right, and, and I think I tried to sort of think about that going through the seven-round mock draft because uh, one of, some of the pushback I had was, oh, you have my team taking three wide receivers. And I'm like, well, yeah, two are at the end of the, ra- end of the draft, and they're athletes who can help on special teams. So, right. uh, you know, we're not feeling – you're not going to draft you a quarterback because you need a quarterback in round seven. That, that just – you know, we're just wasting time here. But yeah. – um, oh, go ahead, Nick. Uh, no, I was just going to say I wanted to get into your – the other two picks that we haven't gone over yet, you went with Michigan linebacker Cameron McGrone, and then you went with Boise State tight end John Bates. And I actually really like both of those picks. I think McGrone is a really smart linebacker who could slide in next to Blake Martinez and probably win that job over Tay Crowder, whereas John Bates is more of a blocking type of tight end, went down to the senior bowl and showed that off immediately. So what was your thought process on those two picks? I mean, I, I, I love them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, so you're right about, like, uh, Bates is, is more blocker than, than pass catcher, and in this offense, that feels okay, especially if you need offensive line help and you can continue to bolster the offensive line and by way of pass blocking tight end. Why not? He's not going to be asked to come in and do a million things. I actually – so what's the latest on Kyle Rudolph? Is he coming or not? Yeah, Kyle Rudolph is a New York Giant, but he's going to be rehabbing through a Liz Frank. Okay. Right now they're saying that he's going to be available, but we all know how that goes. Yeah, okay. Let's, I knew there was something. I, I had seen the headline. I didn't see the details. Yeah, Liz Frank is pretty serious. So hopefully he comes back 
But um, you know him, Evan Ingram, I think is last year of his deal. Uh, they have the the kid from Stanford, I think, is still on the roster. The undrafted free agent who I actually liked coming out is he still on the roster? Yeah, Caden Smith, sir. Caden Smith, thank you. Yeah. Um, so right, so there's there's some depth there, and, and I think that Bates ran a four eight two, so he's not a burner, but you know I think Hawkins ran four seven five, so it's, he's certainly fast enough if you want to get him on pass routes. But his primary thing is blocking. Uh, so let's see, Cam McGrum, looking at my notes here. Um, I liked him a lot. Like, I was sort of surprised. Again, I came to him late. And this off-ball linebacker class is actually pretty interesting, like surprisingly deep, but maybe it's only deep because we're now sort of last four or five or six years focusing on these off-ball linebackers as legit playmakers that you can draft in the first round. So, obviously, I have him going uh, on day three. But he could go earlier than that. If he went in round three, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, he had him, had him ranked 10th among all my, my off-ball linebackers. Let me see who else I had around that. So I had, yeah, Cameron McGrone. Yeah, he's just behind Derek Barnes, just ahead of Monty Rice. And, and that feels like not far. Uh, like a, I had a, like a, a round higher grade than uh, on Chad Surratt. And Jabril Cox was a, a little bit higher than that. So he's right there. He's the, sort of that athlete that in the middle of the field that can do a little bit of everything, maybe slightly undersized by historical you know, inside linebacker standards, but you, you can move him around. I think he blitzed off the edge a fair bit. Like, they lined up outside and had him running off the edge, which was sort of interesting, given that he was undersized, and he did a pretty good job of it. Um, but, it, look, if you're in the NFL where everything is about space and speed, you don't need a bunch of Ray Lewis's out there. Um, Ray Lewis is actually a bad example. He's pretty fast. But, you know, old-school 1990 middle linebackers who aren't necessarily all that mobile and are just there to stuff the run. McGrone is the guy who can – Help you in coverage. He can help you, uh, you know, in, in run support. He can play in sub packages. I, I like the idea of him as a round four guy, maybe even a round three guy who can contribute right away. Nice. I like it, Ryan. I want I'm going to get into one more thing because last year on this exact spot, I asked you to talk about a player who, you know, after you evaluated from start to finish, you felt might be a little bit overrated by consensus mocks, and that player was actually Iowa. The end, A.J. Epinesa at the time was talked about as a first-round pick and mocked there regularly when we had you on. He ultimately fell to late round two. He couldn't really crack a shallow D.N. depth chart over there in Buffalo in year one. And so I'm going to consider that a win for you. And and, and we'll take – I know, as, as you'll probably attest to, during drafts, you'll take as many wins as you can get. Uh, <laughs> this is a hard thing to do. But do you have a strong feeling about any player like this in this class that you kind of – a similar thing. You know, you've seen him mocked very high in those in – those, or I'm sorry, you've seen him go very high in those mock drafts, and as you've had time to evaluate him, you've kind of soured on him a bit. Yeah, so I thought you were going to mention T. Higgins. I'm glad I, I didn't say that because T. Higgins, I, I say this frequently, like I was talked out of him, and that's just me. I made a point, like the last two months I tried to get off Twitter because, or at least mute the, the accounts that say things that I, I don't want to see in, in terms of influencing me. So T. Higgins last year, I liked T. Higgins, and I was like, oh, okay, the more I saw, the more I was convinced that he couldn't get off line of scrimmage. He had a great season, so I'm glad it was – A.J. Epinesa is what I said. And I think Epinesa has a chance to be good. So the, the, this year the name – and I, I felt this way since I started watching these guys during the college football season. Like Tyson Campbell, I, I'm one of Tyson Campbell's biggest fans. The cornerback out of Georgia, he's 6-1, about 185. He may, weigh, may, may have weighed 190 or so his pro day. Ran in the four threes or four fours, I think. Incredibly long, and he has incredibly loose hips and in that he can get in and out of breaks like someone who's much smaller than, than he, he plays like he's 5'10" in terms of his ability to get out of breaks. He's always around the catch point. Not a lot of ball production, and, and that's sort of the knock on him. But I've had it, I've had him in the first round for a lot of my mock drafts. I, I have him as a, like a late first round grade or whatever. 
Um, so that's a guy I like, and maybe this blows my face. We talked about the corner acquisition, how hard it is to transition. But Eric Stokes' teammate, I haven't quite gotten on board with all the love for him. He ran that 4-2 and change at the sort of modified Port Lauderdale Pro Day a month or so ago, and people were going crazy, and that's a fantastic number. But when I watched him play, and I watched four of his games, he was stiff, like getting in and out of breaks. And, he, again, he's the same size, like 6'1", probably 190 as Tyson, maybe a few pounds heavier. But I didn't get the sense that he was as, as fluid as Campbell was playing on the other side. And he had, I think, three interceptions. A lot of those were just sort of right place, right time interceptions, tip balls. I think he intercepted. He may have – did he have an interception on Mac Jones? I think he had an interception on Kyle Trask on a sort of a weird play uh, on, on sort of the wide side of the field. He may have intercepted Matt Jones in that first play of the game. It may have been the safety. But it was sort of right place, right time. It wasn't him making a Richard Sermon-type interception uh, at, at the catch point or, or jumping a route. And, no, I mean, that's not his fault. He still made the play. He got the interception. But I do wonder if we're overhyping him uh, on, on draft Twitter. I haven't talked to teams that love him, but it only takes one team. Uh, but I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, I'll, mention, I'll give you another name, too. Aaron Robinson, who I like at UCF, but he's gotten some first-round buzz. He plays in the slot. He's incredibly handsy, and it feels like you know that ain't, sometimes the, the handsy thing works. J.C. Horn's incredibly handsy. I think he can make that transition. We'll see. But Aaron Robinson out of the slot's incredibly handsy, and I do wonder how often he's going to be flagged for that. He also seems sort of stiff in terms of turning and running with guys. But, um, again, that doesn't mean these guys are going to be great players. You're just asking my opinion. That's what I think because I, I don't want to come off like I'm you know crapping on these guys. I think I, I have all the respect in the world for these, these kids and what they've gone through and what have gotten to, the, gotten to this point. But um, I do have questions about maybe these guys being first-round players when I think maybe that they are more likely to go in round two. Or maybe, like, Eric Stokes to me has a third-round grade, but we'll see. He could dominate, and I'll be wrong, but that's okay. Do you uh, have a strong feeling on any of those, those I guess, second-cluster cornerbacks behind Farley, Sertain, Horn, and Newsom? I know you just kind of talked a lot about Campbell and Stokes, the two Georgia guys, but... Who would be your favorite in that next tier of, like, the Asante Samuels, the Ifitu Melanfon Woos, the Trill Williams, who want to throw in another Syracuse guy, maybe throw in Paulson Adebo or Benjamin St. Juice? Do you have a strong feeling about any of those specific players outside of Campbell and Stokes? So I was actually talking to this guy about Trill Williams uh, a couple weeks ago because I wanted to – like, where does he play? Like, I watched a couple games. He looked pretty good. He goes, you know, I thought he was a cornerback, but I was talking to, to someone, at the, uh, someone, someone else about it, and, and they said um, – He's a safety. Like he, he, he doesn't have the movement skills to be a corner. So maybe he takes that as uh, as a challenge and he intro proves that he can play corner, but he may his future may actually end up being safety or some sort of hybrid role. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. I'm curious about that. So I'm looking at my, my um, rankings right now. Uh, Caleb Farley was my cornerback one until he had the back issue. I'm sort of bummed out. Hopefully he's, he's healthy and able to, to ball out because I liked him better than Sertan and Horn. Uh, Greg Newsom's my number three. Tyson Campbell's my number four, which a lot of people don't have. Kelvin Joseph is nine number six. I had Caleb probably dropping to five. So uh, as a round two guy, and then just ahead of just ahead of Asante Samuel as an early round two guy, and then just right after that I had Ify Melanfonwu, who I like. Like you know, we talk about Diami Brown, the wide receiver out of uh, UNC, being this deep threat, and I'm not as high on Diami as some other people. And I could have mentioned him in the in the last segment there. Um, I, scouts I've talked to love him, and other scouts I've talked to like, yeah, we'll see. Melanfonwu shut him down when Syracuse played UNC. Asante Samuel Jr. shut him down for the most part when they played uh, Florida State. So I have questions. If you're not getting open against those guys, you're not getting open against NFL wide receivers consistently either. So I like those guys, both those guys in round two. I like Mellon Fine more than some people, some teams I've talked to. Adebo's interesting that he took off, took off last year. 
Uh, didn't play the entire season because of injuries in 2019. Had a really good 2018. So which guy are you getting? Great pro day. So I think I would take like a round two flyer on him. I had Aaron Robinson and Eric Stokes as um, early round three guys. And guys that I like a lot that we aren't really talking about uh, because of either size or just they got lost in the mix of their respective programs. Shakur Brown, the cornerback out of Michigan State, um, plays with an edge. Trey Brown plays with a, more of an edge out of uh, Oklahoma. He's undersized. He plays outside, but the way he plays and his size, he'll probably kick inside. But that dude is physical. And nobody, I don't care who you are, DK Metcalf is not going to take advantage of him uh, in the course of the route. And DJ Daniel, I like a lot from, from Georgia. Another cornerback um, in a, on a defense that's going to probably have five or six or seven guys drafted. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a loaded deep class. I mean, it's interesting because the Giants invested so much in that position. But at the same time, I know that they believe that pass coverage is the new king in the NFL when it comes to fielding an excellent defense. So it'll be interesting to see if they continue to invest there. But I have some overall general draft questions for you that I'm curious about. I want to start with one that's a little more Giants-focused for moving past that. So if you took every QB out of this class, Ryan, who would you consider to just be the pure blue-chip prospects in this class? Because my goal, at least for the Giants at 11, is with all these QBs coming off the board, maybe they can actually land a blue-chip guy even at 11 outside of the top 10. So I've had mock drafts a while ago, probably a month and a half, two months ago now, um, where I had the Giants taking Kyle Pitts. And it feels like it doesn't matter which team you are. If Kyle Pitts is on on the board and you're on the clock, you're taking Kyle Pitts. Like, you know, we talked about Kyle Rudolph. uh, We we talked about um, Evan Ingram. We talked about uh, Caden, what's his name, from Stanford. It doesn't matter. You're, You're taking Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts is my, like, home run hitter. I feel like... He is the same layup that Chase Young was last year. Like, if you're a GM and you think you're getting fired, you take Chase Young because you're not getting fired if you take Chase Young. That's a pick that you don't have to worry about. It's not like drafting Johnny Mansell or even to a lesser extent Baker Mayfield that you don't know about. Uh, that's Kyle Pitts for me, and I would take him at four all day long if you're not trading down and you're not interested in the quarterback as the, um, as the, as the Falcons. So that's a guy that I, I think that feels right. Jamar Chase... I think so, but I wonder, like, is Jamar Chase going to have the type of season that Justin Jefferson had last year? Probably not. 1,400 receiving yards, even though Justin Jefferson was the fifth wide receiver drafted, 22nd overall. So I think Jamar Chase has a chance to be really good. I don't – is he as explosive as Justin Jefferson? I I don't think he is, like, just in terms of watching him. I know what he did at the pro day and all that. But he's not wide – to you know, to quote Bruce Arians, he's not wide-ass open in terms of separation. Devontae Smith is. But Jamar Chase creates that separation in the last two or three yards with the ball in the air. And then a contested catch, you're not beating him. He's Anquan Bolden, but runs a 4-3, whatever. So I, I don't know about him. I don't even know about Trevor Lawrence. You sort of mentioned him earlier, Dan, as being sort of the closest to the can't miss. I feel like if Trevor Lawrence has 70%, 75% of the season that Justin Herbert had, that's a home run for the Jaguars. And I don't know if he's going to do it. I think the infrastructure with the Chargers is much better than Jacksonville right now. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Both teams have new coaching staffs, of course. Um, Micah Parsons, like on paper, yes. Real world, I have no idea. Like I don't know which guy's showing up. I know some teams are concerned about his ability to like. Is, does he take football seriously? Type conversations, um, and then you know the maturity stuff when he was early on at at um, at Penn State. So my my go to answer has been Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase is probably a close second. I like it. I like it. All right, before we kind of wrap up here, I did want to get a few like overall draft takes. So I want to start with. Any, are you hearing any rumblings about potential trades or big moves you think might go down either before now and Thursday or on Thursday night that some of our listeners might be interested in? Maybe they affect the Giants, maybe 
they don't. Yeah, well, Dave Gettleman, you guys know this. He said he doesn't like trading down because he feels like you know he misses out or whatever. We'll see. Uh, I think the teams around him will trade down. But what's interesting, like, okay, so three the three quarterbacks go off the board. Whoever the third one is is the third one. Are the Falcons the Falcons aren't trading down with the Panthers at eight? Um, if they trade down to where four fifteen to the Patriots, they're not getting Kyle Pitts. So I sort of think maybe their best case is trading down to seven with the Lions. So that's what they want to do. I feel like Brad Holmes coming from Los Angeles Rams may want to stick with Jared Goff, the new GM there. We'll see. And then, of course, nine, the Broncos, would they be willing to trade up um, to four? And there have been some rumblings that maybe they want to get an offensive lineman at some point. And our Jason Lanka at CBS Sports has reported that they may have Teddy Bridgewater on, the, on that roster before the draft. So in which case you would imagine they're not going to take another quarterback just to give Drew Locke some, some pressure in the way of Teddy Bridgewater. So if the Falcons stay put, they're taking Kyle Pitts, I would imagine. The Bengals ain't trading down. They're not doing that. They're taking Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell, I would imagine. The Dolphins traded all over the board to get in a position at six to be able to take a playmaker for Tua. I mean, they could take Panay Sewell there if he's still there, but that doesn't solve Tua's problem of having people to throw to. So I think you take uh, Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell. Uh, and then that brings you to seven. So maybe seven is the closest you're going to get to trading up if you're the Patriots, if you're the Bears, if you're Washington, if you're in a long shot situation, Steelers and the Saints. So I don't think until – I think it's seven is when we may have a real conversation about it. But before that, I think the first six picks might be as is unless – unless like Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase are gone at six and the Dolphins don't want to take Jalen Wilde that high and they want to move back just a little bit to perhaps maybe get Panay Sewell a few spots down or maybe they feel safer, more comfortable taking Jalen Waddle uh, three or four or five spots down than what they were at six. It's really interesting, Ryan, and I get you out of here soon, but I wanted to kind of get your take on the number three overall pick. I think it's fascinating. Is it going to be Mac Jones, Trey Lance? Could it be Justin Fields? What's your take on what San Francisco will do with that number three overall selection? Yeah, so I've been telling the story for a few weeks now, maybe a few months, because um, I started having Mac Jones in the top ten of my mock drafts in January, and you can imagine how that how that went over on Twitter. And I would say on CBS Sports HQ back in January that uh, mm. Mac, Mac Jones is going to be a top 10 pick. And I was saying that because I was talking to teams in December, the end of the season, where you're not really smokescreening anyone. And I was just sort of going through the five quarterbacks we've been talking about forever as going in the first round. And I you know, I would say, like, you know, I, I sort of like Mac Jones. And the response I would get invariably is that this guy is really good. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick. And I was sort of surprised because – you know, look at Mac Jones and look at Trevor Lawrence and, and, and Justin Fields, and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. You can sort of do the, the physical math. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. But when you watch Mac Jones play, and I've talked to people in Alabama that agree with me on this, he is better than Tua coming out of Alabama. Is it close? Yeah, it's close. But Mac Jones is better. In terms of processing, I know that's a word that we don't like to hear, but in terms of pre-snap decision-making, he was better than Tua, and he's better than anyone else in this draft class, in my opinion. And I've talked to people in the league that agree with that. And that intelligence, and it's not just like, oh, he's really good for a senior in college in terms of knowing what to do. He's good like a quarterback who's been in the NFL four or five years. And that to me screams, hey, that's what Kyle Shanahan wants. And if you if the pushback is, well, Kyle Shanahan has Mac Jones already and Jimmy G, I can point you to several instances that you probably remember yourself where you can see Kyle Shanahan visibly frustrated that Jimmy G isn't doing what Kyle Shanahan wants him to do in the confines of that offense. And I think he wants to get away from that. Now, I've talked to people that know Shanahan pretty well in the league, trying to get a sense of, is that Mac Jones? And, you know, Mac Jones checks every single box. And then the the but you get is, 
But if you want to upgrade sort of the evolution of the quarterback in the Kyle Shanahan system, Trey Lance and Justin Fields also make some sense. So I don't think anyone knows. That's correct to the 49ers for keeping a lid on these things. I think it's Mac Jones, but that's just me speculating. And the last thing I'll say, it's funny that I'm, I'm the guy dying on the Mac Jones hill. Um, but I do like to push back against these sort of stupid narratives that people come up with on Twitter and just, you know, that, that's live or die, whatever. Like, I'm not team Mac Jones or team Justin Fields. I love both players a lot. I think they both have a chance to be really good. But the thing I always finish with is, like, look, if you take Mac Jones's head and put it onto his body, no one's saying a word. It's like, oh, my God, that guy's a top five pick all day long. Go back last year. I implore you. <laughs> And read the scouting reports on Tua Tonga by Loa. Close your eyes and you're looking at Mac Jones. They're the exact same scouting reports. Like from the exact same people who this year say, I have a lot of questions about Mac Jones because he played in that offense with that offensive line and those playmakers. Right. The only issue we have with Tua last year was his hip. Mac has a better arm. He gets rid of the ball quicker. He has a, sl- he has a shorter motion, by the way. Yep. And oh, by the way, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith both said privately, according to reports to NFL teams, they would rather play with Mac Jones. Yep. So what is it? I mean, look, Matt Jones might suck in the NFL. He might be an absolute goober. But <laughs> for us to be have two different conversations about virtually the same player coming out, it's just weird to me. So um, now, look, if you want to argue that giving up three first-round picks for Matt Jones is, is dumb, I, I will agree with that. That's dumb. Uh, that's a lot of pressure to put on anyone. Matt Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Coming into that situation, I think Justin Fields would be at an advantage because the, the fan base seems to be more on board with that. But Mac Jones is going to have to win right away. The good news is he'll be in a Shanahan offense. He won't be playing for, say, the Lions. And he'll have a lot of playmakers around him and have a defense that's really good. Uh, so he, he will be set up to succeed. And the last thing I'll say is if the 49ers, for whatever reason, don't take Mac Jones because they don't like him or whatever, uh, I, it will be funny in five years from now when the, the Patriots have traded up for Mac Jones and <laughs> they have won two Super Bowls. Everyone's pissing and moaning about how why didn't the 49ers draft Mac Jones when they had the chance. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. And I love it, Ryan, because I do remember you were the first on that train of Mac Jones could be drafted a lot higher than people think when no one was talking about it. There was still talk of, we'll even go in the first round. And now it's like there's likelihood. Vegas odds suggest he is almost definitely going to be the guy at number three. And I love what you said about Tua versus Mac. It's such a good point. Last year we hear with Tua, oh, it's to the hip. If he didn't have the hip, he'd be an easy lock first overall pick. But meanwhile, there are a lot of people, myself included, who didn't really like what I saw on film from two. I like something you mentioned that I think doesn't get talked about enough is he has a really elongated throwing motion. That's not good for the NFL, and it showed up last year. Plus, you said, like, oh, if you put Mac Jones' head on Tua's body, you know, wouldn't people like that more? But actually, Tua was hurt in year one, and I think I'd prefer Mac Jones' body more than Tua. Like, Tua did not look that elusive to me in the open field. No, I'm serious. Like, he didn't look very fast or athletic. His Already has injuries that he's dealing with because of his size. Not Maybe not because of his size, but he's dealing with injuries already. Mac Jones can see the field a little better. I think he gets the ball out faster. I think all the things you said are true. And I think it's interesting that like so many people are like, oh, great pick by the Dolphins to take two at five. But if you take Mac Jones at three, it's the worst pick in the world, right? And you guys had some experience with that, with Daniel Jones going six. Yeah. Like, no one saw that coming. And I was laughing at the Mac Jones thing because he, he, is, he is built to take some hits. Like, that pot belly will serve him well. <laughs> In his NFL career. So I, I think maybe he's on to something that we don't know about. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us, man. Anything that you want to promote before we go? <laughs> uh, I'm all promoted out. Just, uh, I figured. Yeah, just uh, just keep watching uh, HQ and, and listen to the Pick 6 podcast and read CBSSports.com. That would be awesome. No doubt about it. All right, that was Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports NFL Draft Insider. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Ryan. <laughs>